everyone, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Lee, the Communications Coordinator at High Point, and in this episode, we're going to hear a conversation between Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, and Jill Reese, who is on staff at High Point, as they share more thoughts on the most recent Engage and Equip live on Monday, June 10th. Enjoy! Hi everyone, this is Jill Reese. I'm here with uh, lead pastor Nick Gibson, and this is uh, we're going to be talking more about the content we talked about at the June 10th Engage and Equip live. Yes. Yes, on the topic of drumroll. shepherding people through the second danger is what I entitled oh. it. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Yeah. And the second danger is if you look at the parable of the sower in Matthew 19 or Mark 4, there's four sort of soils that the seed of the sower, the planter lands on and Mm -hmm. this, and they all respond differently to the seed being planted on them. And each one of the first three don't make it Mm -hmm. right. And so each represents a distinct and profound spiritual danger Mm -hmm. in people blossoming and being fruitful in faith or having faith and being saved. And yet in the current church culture, we can often think that like if you've accepted Jesus check they are good to go and so yeah but it, it, you we do need to be aware of this danger and if you are participating in somebody coming to faith but mm-hmm. once they say I believe yeah it's and you so like exciting. pray with them you're excited and you kind yeah. of let your guard you're like oh good mm-hmm. that's actually the most dangerous moment hmm. that mm-hmm. is when you sh- your effort in spiritually shepherding that person dramatically increases mm-hmm. rather than decreases in relief Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you talked a little bit about that, about what, about why that is, why it's the most dangerous uh-huh. um, point. It, was there more that you would like to go into? I mean, not, not too much. I just, okay. I, I think that we probably should just reiterate those points. Okay, quickly. great. Um, so do you want me to go through them so and there, you can okay. speak yeah. more to them? Sure. Okay. So why this is the most dangerous point, there's usually a strong and stiff spiritual counterattack that's de- right. demonic. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometimes people uh, um, who believe that when once somebody professes faith, they're saved forever, that's all there is to it, um, will think, oh, this person is believed, so they're safe now. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's true, but it's it's not true from our human perspective, Right. From our human's perspective, somebody can fall away immediately. Yeah. And from a, from a spiritual perspective in terms of the spiritual intelligences, this is an increase of temptation and confusion and attack rather than a decrease. Mm-hmm. It's not like this victory where we've completely defeated, defeated all spiritual foes and now this person is completely victorious mm-hmm. and will be forever. This is when the stiffest, most immediate, strongest counterattack comes. You see this mm-hmm. like in military warfare sometimes that like right after you win a pretty decisive battle, mm-hmm. the people you're fighting say, okay, we need to put together and attack decisively and mm-hmm. counterattack right away mm-hmm. while they're kind of like enjoying their victory or whatever. Um, yeah. There was like during D-Day in the World War II, after all these people came ashore, right? They were of course stranded. So in the moment of the beginning of the great victory, there was also the greatest vulnerability Mm -hmm. and the German army actually had 
planned to let them come ashore if they couldn't stop them. Mm -hmm. And then they were just going to push them off into the water in counterattack before the allies could actually bring over supplies. Hmm. And it was basically, there was this like one dude from West Virginia that accidentally stumbled into a, um, a meeting of German officers. Hmm. And it was such a good shot from being a hunter as a kid used, like shot all six of them and killed them all in less than (laughs) like in 20 seconds. Yeah. And killed all the officers for the major German counterattack, so it never happened. Wow. But apart from that really weird yeah. providence, um, it's very likely that a large portion of the Allied forces mm-hmm. would have been killed hmm. after coming ashore. Yeah. And you kind of want to have that mentality spiritually that just because you've accepted Jesus and God has done a great thing in your life and like the spirit has brought you to conviction and mm-hmm. you've put your faith in him or somebody you're ministering to has, you need to push further inland. Mm-hmm. And you need to secure your beachhead, spiritually speaking, so mm-hmm. that you cannot be counterattacked. And yeah. because you have to be aware that there will be a spiritual counterattack. And I think that sometimes it looks really passive too. In, in relationships I've had, it's just like all of a sudden they can't meet anymore. <laughs> right. And you've been, you, they've been really they excited. Won't call. They won't answer the calls. Right. They won't answer the texts. They cancel appointments. In almost every case, the mm-hmm. thing that. I'll just say Satan as a euphemism mm-hmm. for demons or mm-hmm. temptation, whatever. Um, Utilizes is always a natural human thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not like some demon shows up and scares them away from right. the coffee shop, yeah. right? What happens is, is that the demonic influence uses a normal human mm-hmm. natural thing. So a person who comes to faith, they habitually they're just not good at following up with appointments Mm -hmm. and that's used to make sure for a critical period of time they don't follow up and Mm -hmm. meet with you Mm -hmm. meanwhile they'll be led in another direction towards what c.s lewis called quote the stream Mm -hmm. which is just like the stream of sense experience that pulls you back into a state of sensuality Mm -hmm. takes you out of the frame of spirituality Mm -hmm. and then can like log you back into the world yeah and then that's enough for you to be Mm -hmm. like oh wait what was i even doing like i thought something big happened but i guess nothing really big happened yeah and then like a a worldling can be made out of you so fast yeah so and there's other things like it's normal for human beings who convert a lot of potential into a real actual one choice Mm. to be terrified and to Mm -hmm. fear they've made the wrong decision yeah so somebody can like get engaged Mm-hmm. And be like, I'm going to marry this person. And then the ne- like two days later, they're terrified that they've made the wrong this decision. This is the right person. Yeah. Right. Going to be because, stuck with them forever. Yeah. And it's not because <laughs> you you don't agree they were the yeah. right person. It's because you're changing three million options, mm-hmm. three billion options into just one. And whenever you convert potential into actual, it always creates stress and fear. Mm-hmm. So temptation devils can prey upon that and say, oh, wait, you made the wrong decision to become a Christian. Yeah. Before this, you had lots of options open to yourself. Mm. You were an open-minded person. Now you've become this closed-minded, singular person. Mm -hmm. You made the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. Now that is a 100% natural human reaction to all major decisions. Mm -hmm. But when you add the temptation and work of devils into that and our own flesh and worldliness, Mm -hmm. it makes a concocted cocktail that is specifically designed to get you to backtrack. Mm -hmm. But that's perfectly connected to human nature. Yeah. And so when we talk about a stiff spiritual counterattack, it is always through the natural workings of human nature to go back Mm -hmm. on things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we just covered the second one, right? There is a natural human reaction to flip back after big decisions. Yeah. 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 So that is also a way that um, there's a spiritual battle going on. 
So I, when we were talking about the first point too, about spiritual counterattack, I think it's really just important for us as you're leading someone to Christ or just as a Christian to have eyes to, to acknowledge spiritual battles, that there's something right. spiritual behind them. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit where yeah. I say the first thing in the steps to shepherd somebody yeah. is tell the whole truth mm-hmm. before they come yeah. to faith. If mm-hmm. you don't want to seem unsophisticated by talking mm-hmm. about devils or demons mm-hmm. or whatever, because you'll believe they'll picture a pointy-headed, horned, mm-hmm. red thing with a pitchfork and that that'll therefore seem ridiculous and therefore they won't believe. The problem is is that when you get to the point to where that's directly relevant mm-hmm. to them walking in their faith, they'll they'll be like, wait a second, you didn't tell me I was going to have to believe in devils, mm-hmm. right? Well... That's because you kind of screwed yourself over. Yeah. You In trying to be contextualized, you actually omitted, you lied by omission. Mm-hmm. And now you're changing the rules on them, which shows you to be dishonest when you called them to come to this thing mm-hmm. to walk into the truth. Mm-hmm. And so that's certainly not the impression you want to leave on people. And right. it's, you shouldn't do it. You should not be thought to be a liar mm-hmm. by not being one. <laughs> yeah. That's usually the best, the best way to see yeah. moral is to be moral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So another thing you have on the list of dangers or why this is dangerous is the person is a baby Christian um, and that name is relevant because they don't know how to do basic things in the Christian life, including defend themselves and feed themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I could say a lot more, but yeah. we but say we, we talk about people being baby or immature in the mm-hmm. faith and it just means they don't know how to acquire more spiritual energy mm-hmm. to deal with stuff and they don't know what's going to come at them they can't defend themselves and so if you don't help them mm-hmm. then they're a weaponless child mm-hmm. on a battlefield it's not a good situation mm-hmm. so yeah you've got to come in there and help them until they're ready to do some of this stuff or until they've learned it or teach them right mm-hmm. away i know that's part of sanctification mm-hmm. is a continual maturity yeah yeah okay um so they'll also begin to feel the alienation that comes from parting company with the world yeah, which is exact. That's exactly the reason Jesus gives. Mm-hmm. He says because they don't have any root, which is the cause. Mm-hmm. The thing that destroys them is when trouble comes or persecution. Those are the mm-hmm. two reasons Jesus gives. When those difficulties come, the person just quits because they don't have any strength. It's like when you pull up a plant that barely has any roots, you don't have to pull very hard; it just comes mm-hmm. right out. Mm-hmm. And because they're already in that state of vulnerability, when trouble or persecution comes, they just give up. And that, and so oftentimes, um, Satan will try to bring that down on the person as hard as possible mm-hmm. right away, mm-hmm. because they don't have much root. They just came to faith, right? And so, if he can cause them to feel deeply and intensely that they will be an outsider the rest of their life, that they will not be accepted in wider polite mm-hmm. society, that they will always have to keep some of their views carefully silent that they'll have to be careful how much they reveal in many relationships in their life that they will forever be disfranchised in certain ways in certain contexts the fear of insecurity and alienation in human beings is so profound mm-hmm. and rejection fear yeah, of rejection reje- it's essentially yeah. rejection and and insecurity mm-hmm. right everybody wants to feel secure and everybody wants to be mm-hmm. accepted and when they realize that they won't be in the world mm-hmm. and that they're trading acceptance with the world for the acceptance of god Mm-hmm. and the security of the world to security with God. And God is immaterial and they can't see him and they can't touch him and they can't talk to him literally as it's that fear can just take them mm-hmm. and you have to prepare them for it. I've had someone tell me that 
they just don't know how Christian it can be fun to be a Christian. <laughs> and so I think this is really important. The more everybody the, hates you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the way we're yeah. Christians are portrayed in media too, is not fun. Right. So yeah, I think it is important to say at this point that that's not, it's not actually true. That no, everybody hates you. Right. There's a very yeah. small portion of people that control the mm-hmm. creation of media. A lot of them mm-hmm. do think Christians are terrible and want to, to portray them that way. Mm-hmm. It's not all of them. It's, yep. a, it's a significantly high percentage of them, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if you just talk to your average person who isn't political and who mm-hmm. and isn't one of the 4% of Americans that watch cable news on the, and at the 2.5% that are on the liberal side, they don't care. Yeah, they, They're not that political. They don't go, oh, Christian, you must be terrible. Yeah. Right. A lot of people, like about half the country, thinks that Christians are good people mm-hmm. and they make everybody's lives better, mm-hmm. right? So um, it is true that that's moving against us proportionally mm-hmm. in the country, but it's not everybody. It's it's not even half. And most people, if they think it's true, they don't feel it very intensely. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they just know some Christians it's not true of, their bigotries can change fairly easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just not true that like everybody hates our guts right now, no. at least in America at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important to recognize the more and more we hopefully reach actual non-Christians who don't have Christian connections. Right, and and that doesn't mean that we won't face persecution. I mean, the majority of Romans didn't hate Christians, Mm -hmm. but the Roman elites who could throw you in the the Colosseum did, and that was enough to get Christians in the Colosseum. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you won't face persecution, but you're not. Christians have never been universally hated. Mm -hmm. In many ways, they've been much more respected and loved than you might think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Popularly speaking. Yeah. The common, when Christians practice Christianity correctly, the common people tend to love us. Mm-hmm. It is the elites that feel threatened mm-hmm. by us and hate us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can see that in the acceptance of Christianity. If you go to the early centuries of Christianity, it was the poor, it was women, it was slaves who believed in Christianity in droves. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then they will also find change hard, even though uh, they thought it would be easy since they were happy and excited to come to Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like romance over a shorter time scale. <laughs> so like when you first meet somebody you really, really are romantically connected with, you feel this strong sense of affection. And that strong sense of affection is fueled by an Eros passion. Mm-hmm. And so being with them and talking with them and seeing them and knowing them just feels effortless. Yeah. Right? And then you get, then you get married yeah. and all of a sudden things feel just a lot harder because mm-hmm. you've gone through this emotional undulation as that intensity of arrows kind of mm-hmm. like mediates itself and isn't as new anymore. You actually have to do things on the basis of character and normal mm-hmm. emotional appetite and so on. And it just feels super hard. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how could anybody do this? Right. Mm-hmm. That's normal life. Mm-hmm. so some people will accept Jesus. They'll feel a sense of spiritual euphoria. They'll think, oh, I can be godly. I can obey Jesus because this is so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then they try to like quit smoking or fornicating or they try to stop gossiping mm-hmm. or s- flying off the handle in anger when they should listen to somebody. They try to really apply the gospel and they find it very difficult because all of their habits yeah. are still completely aligned with the world. Mm-hmm. And so they're fighting their own nature. They're fighting their own personality. They're slaveries from they're before. They're slaveries, yeah. right, mm-hmm. right. And so because of that, they mm-hmm. find themselves still bound. Mm-hmm. And they go, wait, this isn't, this isn't like I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. This is a lot harder. Yeah. And some people will say, I better 
I better get at it. And then other people will say, wait, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Does that make sense? And that's hard. That's part of counting the cost in a sense before mm-hmm. they come to Christ. And that's part of telling them the whole right. truth. But also right. so you, you can't know it until you're in it. <laughs> right. So so this is when, when, when we get to the thing which we're going yeah. to now about what, do you, then how do you shepherd people? Yeah. Do this. One of the things is, is that you prepare them for those experiences. Mm-hmm. You tell them that they're going to happen. And if you tell them about emotional undulation and that sanctification is difficult because it works against your developed habits and slaveries and all that stuff, then when it hits them, they go, wait a second, Nick told me this is going to happen. Yeah. So they're not surprised by it. Yeah. It's the same thing you do in pre-marriage counseling, right? Pre-marriage counseling doesn't do anything in relationship to counseling. (laughs) There's only two purposes to do marriage counseling. One, so that the man will like the pastor so that when mm-hmm. you're having marriage problems, he believes that if you go and talk to the pastor, you won't. Ju- he won't just take the wife's side. And two, the reason you'll come and talk to me when you have marriage problems is because I told you what your marriage problems were going to be before you got married. You didn't believe me, but you listened. And then when they happen, you say, wait, Nick told me this was going to happen. And then it did. Maybe he knows how to fix it. And so then a year into your marriage, you come in for counseling. So... Similarly, what we do with people who are coming to faith, we say, hey, look, these five or six things, you're, you may experience these, mm-hmm. you may experience all of them. And then they do, and they, they instead of being like, oh my gosh, I, why did I do this? They'll be like, Nick, this is exactly what Nick said was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was told this, this is normal, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. This is hell raging against my freedom, mm-hmm. right? This is, this is the old man that doesn't want to die. This is the habits of my slavery, that still want to hold their clutches in me, even though I'm a new creation. Mm -hmm. And I have to learn to walk out what it means to belong to Jesus and to keep in step with the spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Um, So you mentioned this in the beginning too, but uh, you talked about the parable of the sower and um, there's four different results in that parable. Um, Do you want to briefly go over those two? Yeah. So if you haven't read the parable of the sower before, it's in Mark 4 in Matthew 13 at least. I don't know if it's in another gospel. I don't think it is. Yeah. Um, you said see also Mark 4. Yeah, Mark yeah. 4 in Matthew 13. Oh, okay, great. So uh, the story is, right, this sower or planter goes out into the field. He's throwing seed around as one would do in those days. He'll grab like a half of a handful and kind of spread it out evenly as in a toss. And when you do that, in most of the field, it's going to fall on fertile ground. But when you're on the side of the field, right, it's going to fall some on good soil, some on a kind of a mixtured soil. And then as you get towards the road, you'll have more rocky soil and then you'll have the road itself. And so as you're sowing the edge of the field where people would walk by and see it, you'll have some seed that lands on the road and it's not going to grow at all. And birds are going to see it and they're going to come and eat it a little bit further in, it's going to be kind of rocky. And so the seed will sprout, but it can't really go anywhere. And so it'll shrivel up and die because it doesn't have a deep enough root tap to get to water in the ground. Right. And then just off the road into kind of the ditch area, you're going to have a lot of weeds and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so some of it's going to grow up there, but the weeds grow up faster. And it, and the, the plant doesn't die, but it gets really spindly and stringy mm-hmm. and never produces a kernel head. And then as you get into the field, you'll get the full thing. You'll get Mm -hmm. real fruitfulness. And so Jesus says, that's what happens when you spread the word of God around, Mm -hmm. right? Some people, it gets snatched away before anything happens. Some people, it grows a little bit and then it shrivels up. Some people, it grows up. They really did accept it, but it gets choked 
by the weeds and some Mm -hmm. people it grows and produces fruit. Now there's two reasons he tells us that the first is to say, when you see these four things happen, you'll be tempted to believe there's something wrong with the seed Mm -hmm. or the sower, the planter. There's not, and there's nothing wrong with the planter. Mm. That's you. And there's nothing wrong with the word of God. Mm -hmm. The seed is good. The, The issue is what was the soil like? It's the human recipient that determines mm. what happens. And so don't get discouraged. You're going to go out there and you're going to share the gospel with lots of people. A small minority of people are going to actually respond to it beautifully mm-hmm. and fruitfully. And that's to be expected. That's naturally and normally what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So don't let yourself be deceived and don't fall into doubt over this. That is exactly what you should expect. Hmm. That's so important because no, yeah. that's why so many people don't do evangelism. Right, because 90% of the people don't yeah. get saved. No, you should expect less than 10% of the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a parable, it's 25% that actually become fruitful. Though there's 75% that actually accept the message, mm-hmm. right? But you'll find in practice, it's much lower than that. I mean, this is a parable. It's not designed to be like strictly proportional. Mm-hmm. It's just 25% even in, in, four, in four ways. So... So the first thing to remember is this. There's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with the seed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, secondly, it's also to recognize this is what Jesus tells us what's happening. Okay. Now, that's helpful, but it also means you don't have to take it lying down. Mm-hmm. Right. If you look at the first one that Satan just steals away the word. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can say, is there a way I can present the word so that it's mm-hmm. not easily stolen? Right. Is and I think about that in my preaching. How can I preach so that I don't just simply cast the word unadorned, unhelped, unfertilized, mm-hmm. and so that's easily stolen? Are there ways in which I can preach to try to make that mm-hmm. better? Secondly, um th- there's the shriveling from the from the root. Okay. So Jesus says the reason that happens is because they don't have any root. Trouble and persecution are going to come. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? Right? Well, we can try to make the person more rooted. Mm-hmm. Right, in terms of them being choked, I mean, the whole book substance that all that stuff we've yeah. done in sanctification is designed to move people from people who would be in the third category into the fourth category, mm-hmm. now, exposing just, worldliness for right, what it is, not being choked by worldliness, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. because I don't think we're supposed to accept the metaphor as absolute, and the reason for that is this: is because all the rest of the Bible teaches us how to move people from one to another, mm-hmm. right? At the all of the letters of Paul are encouraging people from being in the second or the third category mm-hmm. to be in the fourth one. And so we need to say, okay, what is Jesus saying destroys them? And now how do we particularly shepherd them through and out of that? Mm-hmm. So how do we, knowing the trouble and persecution are going to come, mm-hmm. shepherd these people in such a way so that they have a root, they mm-hmm. have a sufficient root supply. So when that heat comes up, when the heat is turned up on them, Mm-hmm. They're sucking enough spiritual water out of the ground of the of the spirit that they don't shrivel at all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's part. That's what you mean by getting people out of the danger, past that danger zone. Right. Yeah, you have to get them to where they're rooted enough that they can take the heat. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, okay. So you have you gave some examples, um, and let's go through these two, and you can talk more about them. Okay. Um, so one we talked about this already, but preaching the whole gospel before they believe. Yeah. Was there more you wanted to say about that? I don't think so. Than what I we think, already said. I think it's just you just. So for some people, they're afraid to tell people yeah. too much because they're afraid that they'll key on something and choose not to believe on the basis of it. There is some that's reasonable, mm-hmm. but if you hide too much, 
you're being dishonest by omission. And then you can't talk about after they're saved what you wouldn't talk about before they Mm -hmm. were saved. Or you may still feel afraid to tell them Mm because maybe they'll just not believe now. You just can't live that way. Mm-hmm. You um, you can contextualize. You can try to make things as believable as possible yeah. and speak into the context of people's understanding, but you can't make the gospel less. Yeah. And you should try. Yeah. I think that also requires you personally grappling with things like suffering and yeah. like pressing into those really difficult areas and so that you... Yeah know those things and aren't trying to hide them from yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That's the second thing I would say is you can't tell them the whole gospel if you don't understand the whole gospel. And so that's absolutely true. The deeper your understanding is the deeper your evangelism will be and Mm -hmm. the better prepped people you lead to Christ will be Mm -hmm. to deal with this second danger period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then uh, second, warn them of the difficulties they're going to face in this period of transition. Yeah. I think you should name specifically the dangers that are going to happen. And just, I mean, come up with a list. Like I've literally told people, I say, listen, sometimes when people come to Jesus, they'll have like an inexplicable car accident. They'll just get in a fender bender or some little emergency will happen. (laughs) Oh yeah. It totally happens (laughs) to people. Yeah. I've literally told people before something could happen, like something's going to happen, some little thing Mm -hmm. to grab your attention and pull you back into your problems Mm. so that your mind and heart is focused on your immediate problems in this world Hmm. rather than the reality of Jesus who's just saved you and you connecting more deeply with him. And I've said it could be like a fender better car accident and the person literally got in a fender better car accident and they were like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Right? Or people getting sick. I've heard of people getting mm -hmm. sick or, um, I mean, sometimes there is spiritual stuff that happens too where people see weird stuff, but yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. But though that's it, I, in my view, that's a different attack. Okay. That, um, the first attack is usually to get people back connected to the stream of immediate mm-hmm. sense experience. To make their world small again. Make their world <laughs> yeah. small again, right. Mm-hmm. And, and to pull them out of a spiritual frame mm-hmm. and to make them more animalistic mm-hmm. and, and sensual. If that doesn't work, mm-hmm. then fear is often another mm-hmm. tactic in which they will have sometimes a mm. profoundly negative spiritual experience so that they'll say, okay. why did I let this spirituality stuff into my life? Yeah. Let me shut that back down. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, was there more you wanted to talk about with that one? Sure, but let's keep okay going. keep going. Okay, uh, then third, have frequent personal meetings with them. Yeah, yeah, this may be one of the most important. Yeah, because people be like, oh, so and so accepted Jesus. I'll see them mm-hmm. in church next Sunday. No, no, you won't. And so you're in this situation doing the initiating. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like when in can fact, we meet? Yeah. Yeah. And and I make that part of number two. Yeah. If we don't meet for a week. Mm-hmm. you're going to walk away from this decision you've made. Hmm. There's just too many things atta- that are going to yeah. attack you. And we, well, it's very, it, and then sometimes you open your Bible and read them the parable of the sower and say, look, you see this root thing? Like things are going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if we don't work on your root, you're just going to get, you're, when the heat gets turned up, you're going you're gonna to shrivel. And so um, the Billy Graham Association has what they call the three-day rule. Mm-hmm. Mike Beresford told me. Okay. For me, it's actually 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Like I, as soon as possible, I want mm-hmm. to connect with that person again. Because mm-hmm. if I have a 24 hour rule, it almost assures that I will connect with them within three days. Yeah. But like I am, I just don't underestimate how many things can turn for somebody back. Mm-hmm. And so I get right after it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I try to meet with them in person within 24 hours. In person. Okay. That's really yeah. good. And if I can't, I will call them on the phone and talk with them and affirm the decision they made. You did the right thing. 
Your life is really changed. This is a momentous thing that has happened to you. And it's the best thing that's ever happened to you or will ever happen to you, you know? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I won't try to put a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Pressure in terms of... Like, well, if I say what? it's the best thing that's ever happened to you, because you're going to be like the holiest person ever. Oh, like, I see. You know, then they'll be like, oh my gosh, I yeah. can't, yeah. can't even. I right? can't get there. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and then for go over key doctrines and practices very early on. So what are some of those? Yeah. So Mike Bearsford actually has a book from the Billy Graham Association that has like a number of little studies mm-hmm. that you can do. And it includes the ones I've list- I listed on the handout, which is what is salvation? Like what happened to mm-hmm. you? The basic components of the Christian life, like Bible reading, prayer, Mm -hmm. going to church, and so on. Um, Assurance is always in these kinds of resources. Like, what does it mean that you've been Mm -hmm. saved? And the the main focus of assurance is to not allow their view of salvation and go back to works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus saved you. You are justified in him. You're secure in him. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. He loves you already. That's why he already saved you. Mm-hmm. Like getting that kind of locked down is important. Otherwise, there's a lot of doubts that come in and, and interrupt people on the basis of this. Mm-hmm. And then surrender or total commitment is something you should deal with early. That is, you didn't just accept Jesus and add him into your life. Mm-hmm. You belong to him in heart and soul, like a husband and wife belong to mm-hmm. each other. He is, you are totally his, right? And that is so important because people who have divided hearts are torn apart. And they and nobody will live that way for very long, right? Yeah, Jesus says that you right. can't have two masters. You can't. You will hate one of them, yep. right? And it will be God, probably. and it will always be God, right? <laughs> so, helping them move out of because they might believe in Jesus, right? And then the world will always make a reentry, right? And then you have to say, okay, listen, you can't, you can't love both of these masters. You have to be totally committed mm-hmm. to Jesus, and what that that does is it. Like, I don't know if you ever worked with a couple who like they're having marriage problems or something and the guy or the girl is thinking about getting a divorce hmm. and they even can maybe have a couple people in mind of who they would pursue if they ever got free of this person. You're going to get nowhere with their marriage counseling. Cause right? they're already out in their heart. Yeah. They're because they're divided. They're already mm-hmm. towards the more, they're already moving towards the more sensualist option. The one that feels easier, more immediate, more pleasing and so on rather than the one that's morally better. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's always to get out, to try something new, to have the new excitement of the newness and all that. Right. And so that has to be entirely cut off for you to really face your real problems and for your life to really get better and for you to know God and all that. Right. Similarly, that the world is that thing. You have to cut that off and it's no longer your master. You use the things of the world as though they weren't yours to keep, to mm-hmm. quote First Corinthians 7. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yep. That's really important. And then reading the Bible. Usually mm-hmm. doing that together is the best thing to do. Prayer, usually doing that together is the best thing to do. Talking about the fact that the spirit indwells you is mm-hmm. an important truth that people need to know. Yeah. And then in addition to that, what walking by the spirit would mean. And I like to use the, the language of re-enlivening and indwelling in our conscience. So listening to the spirit feels a lot like hearing your own conscience again more deeply and more clearly. That is helpful because there's so much confusion around right. God's voice. God's voice. And what yeah. that means. Yeah, yeah, because we got all kinds mm-hmm. of voices in our heads, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was listening actually to a psychologist recently talk about how the, the corpus callosum in the brain, which unites the two hemispheres, that in subjects where that's cut, for because, usually because of cases of severe epilepsy, um, 
they can demonstrate that each hemisphere of your brain has its own independent consciousness that are both inner, like you, there's literally more than one person hmm. in there, like neurologically speaking. And yet there's a unity that's sort of like mm-hmm. fostered. But what that means is when you experience yourself mentally, um, you can actually see scientifically mm-hmm. that there's multiple voices inside of you and mm-hmm. multiple, even personalities in a way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you got to, if you're going to say you need to listen to this voice inside of you, you need to be very specific and clear about what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, if you want more on that, if you're, if you're confused about what that means, um, Nick in his sermon and the substance series on walking in step with the spirit, you did a good job of <laughs> clarifying that. So I can okay. link that in the notes for the podcast. Yeah. Also, but there's a book that I give a lot of millennials, but I give it, to people it's called good news for anxious christians Mm. by philip carey c-a-r-y and there's a chapter in that book called you don't have to hear god's voice in your head and carey's a lutheran he deals with christianity very objectively um but sometimes when people get um it's kind of screwed up in a kind of uh mysticism especially if you're dealing with anxiety there's a lot of voices going on right 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 right. yeah yeah yeah. especially if you're like young and you're dealing questions like who should i marry what should i do for my job Mm -hmm. what school should i go to you really want to hear god's voice and it's partly because you're young and you don't realize you actually don't want to make that decision yourself because you don't really want to face the consequences if you get it wrong Mm -hmm. and what god wants you to do is to become a grown-up and make the decision yourself Mm -hmm. and so it's a very stressful time Mm-hmm. to realize spiritually you can keep in step with the spirit, but you still have to pick your own spouse, pick your own school, pick your own job. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So indwelling of the spirit and then telling yeah. others about Christ. Right. That all of us mm-hmm. are called to share the gospel with others, no matter how mm-hmm. early we are in our faith. And then lastly, that you need to realize that the other Christians in the universe are your brothers and sisters in a deeper and more eternal way than your brothers and sisters. And that that family gathers weekly in the local church. And yeah. it may be, it can sometimes be a fairly dysfunctional family, but theologically that is the bride of Christ. They are your brothers and sisters and you must be among them. Mm-hmm. And instilling a deep doctrine of the local church, I think is really important. Yeah. Especially in the kind of culture we're in now where everybody wants to be able to decide. They don't, I mean, they still, people still treat their families like it's a salad bar and they can take and leave whatever yep. they want. People treat their parents like, they can take whatever they want from them and mm-hmm. then just treat them however they want or siblings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, so some people have to really learn almost from scratch what it means to be part of a family. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- they need to learn that they're part of a spiritual family. If, if they are the child of God, they are brother and sister to the other Christians. Mm-hmm. This can be one of the most healing things too, mm-hmm. after coming to faith, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really hard, though, because you're working against a consumer individualistic culture. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and then I think the last thing to talk about here, we talked about doing devotions, I hopefully, uh, mm-hmm. f- in the thing. But one of the things that we talked about, we need to talk about is, um, especially if you like leading people to Jesus and you lead more than one person to Jesus, um, like I have to hand people off. I can't go through the whole discipleship process with them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I'm doing is who can, who can mentor this person? Yeah. Who can I hand them off to? And I'm looking for two things, right? I'm looking for a mature Christian mm-hmm. who is of relatively similar temperament to this person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also looking for someone who would enjoy friendship with that person mm-hmm. because it makes it easy. Then it makes it easier. Yeah. Easier. Yeah. Not easy. But yeah. Easier. And, and, and in my case as a pastor, oftentimes these people would like to be friends with me. 
mm-hmm. on a more deep level. And so I'm actually trying to find them a relationship they'll enjoy even more than they'd, they'd mm. actually, so, right? The, the relationship they want with me is more ideological. Like they think it would be really fun to be my friend mm-hmm. or they think they want to know me better or they think it'd be great to have a person like me. They could ask questions all the time, but it's not as fun as they think it's going to be. And what they really need is somebody they can be in a deep, committed, meaningful mm-hmm. friendship with. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking for someone who can be a mentor and a friend. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And I think getting them into those relationships of Christian faith is one of the most critical ones. Mentoring, small group, friendship and enjoyment, mm-hmm. and worship and family yeah. are all critical things. Yep. So they don't just know you at church. Right. Yeah. So right. they get to know other people. Right. And that's one of the reasons why churches sometimes have cohort ministries where you can yeah. go and get around people similar to you hmm. so that if like a 24 mm-hmm. year old comes to faith at high point they can go to grad and career and they're gonna make they're gonna find mm-hmm. some friends right mm-hmm. and that's pretty critical mm-hmm. um, and some people actually come and they'll make friends with christians first and then believe later mm-hmm. um, because especially now because christianity is so outside of the box of what people are supposed to find believable mm-hmm. oftentimes you have to have many and long conversations to kind of reorder what you find plausible and reorder all these ideas mm-hmm. and oftentimes that can only happen in long-term friendly relationships and so um so sometimes people actually form the friendships first yeah and come to faith later yeah if you are a woman listening to the podcast, you can go on our um, highpointchurch.org website and look for women's ministry. And there's a link to ask for a mentor if you need a mentor. Yeah. We've got a great women's mentoring. um, I'm not supposed to call the program ministry. I think it's called. Um, And our men's one just isn't in the same place for a number of reasons. Still Um, email us if you're a man and want a mentor. We will figure something out. Yeah, there's we just don't people. have as ordered a process. There's people, yeah. But there are mm-hmm. people who can mentor you. So, so um, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. We'd love to help you with that. Um, and then you also mentioned riding to church together <laughs> when yeah, we were talking. But. Especially for the first month or two. I think, yeah, go pick that person up yeah. and drive them to church with you and then talk with them on the way and, yeah. and go to lunch with them after. Um, make, make that introduction to the family of God as holistic and personal as mm-hmm. possible. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what we want to end with Jill here is... Um, one, understand that this is the second great danger, mm-hmm. right? When they hear the gospel, that it not get snatched away, that they really consider it is the first. The second is they believed, now what? This is not a time to relax. This is not a time to think you've won. This is a time to increase, not decrease your focus on shepherding mm-hmm. this person to persevering faith in Christ. And this is a time to realize that there will be specific counterattacks, that there are all kinds of reasons people fall away and fall out of faith. Mm-hmm. And There's a huge spiritual battle yes. going on still. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It just, when somebody says yes to Jesus, everything just got worse, not better mm-hmm. from a spiritual conflict perspective. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And so you just have to know that as a Christian, don't be, don't be surprised by it. Um, and then secondly, if you do these things, you can't move everybody in that second category to the fourth category. It's just not going to happen. Some people are going to accept Jesus with joy, not get rooted. When the heat turns up, they're going to shrivel. That's just going to happen. And there's nothing wrong with a sower and there's nothing wrong with a word. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to take this stuff lying down. Mm-hmm. And some people, if you do these things, you can prevent them from ending up in that second category and help them be found in the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you, Nick. And yeah. if you want to listen to the first part of this, um, that'll also be on the podcast. Yeah, um, under Engage and Equip. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
All right, guys, I hope this was helpful, and I hope this helps you um, lead people not just to cross the line of faith, but into the family of God, into stable faith, into deep-rootedness, and into lifelong and eternal persevering faith. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.